Welcome to the Law of Startups Podcast. I'm Mike Schneider. And I'm Joe Wallen. Thank you for being with us today. Uh, today we are lucky to have on our show BJ Lacklin. He is the CEO of Lighter Capital. Uh, Lighter Capital is a uh, revenue loan company uh, in Seattle and uh, I think the leader, the clear leader, demonstrable clear leader in the industry of revenue loans. BJ, thank you and welcome to the show. Yeah, I'm pleased to be on the show. Thanks a lot for inviting me. Sure. So for those of us in the audience who don't know um, what a revenue loan is and who qualifies for it and who, you know, who, who's your target customer, why don't you tell us just in general about revenue loans? Yeah, revenue loan is an investment vehicle that's trying to meld the best aspects of debt and equity. So the best aspects of debt um, is that it's non-dilutive to the entrepreneur and non-controlling in the way that equity is. The best aspect of equity is that there's a deep alignment between the entrepreneur's goals and the investor's goals towards growth, right? Normally, debt just wants to make sure it gets paid each month. Equity wants to see the company grow. So a revenue loan really melds the best of those two worlds. So it was was created to try and and invent, essentially, and popularize a better way of funding um, growing startups. Um, so with that in mind, we, we fund companies that have revenue because we get paid as a percentage of revenue. Let me describe maybe quickly how the instrument works. So uh, it's essentially a royalty agreement. We give a company a sum of money, say 100000 bucks, and they then pay us a percentage of their revenue, say 5%, until they've paid us a set dollar amount total in return. Say, um, it's usually expressed as a multiple of the original principal amount, say 1.7 times. So in other words, we give a company $100,000, they pay us 5% of their revenue until they pay us $170,000 total. Now that's expected to be over like a five-year period of time. So it's really long-term growth capital. And the faster the company grows, the faster we'll get paid back that money, which means our ROI goes up. Thus the alignment between uh, the company, the entrepreneur, and the investor, us, um, kind of like equity. Um, if the company grows more slowly, then it just takes longer. So essentially, we're making a bet on a company a lot like an equity investor is, um, because the faster they grow and the better they perform, the higher our return on investment, just like an equity investor. Anyway, so that's the way the instrument works. Um, and um, we think it's a great melding between uh, sort of equity and debt that really kind of fills a hole in the funding ecosystem, um, kind of between angel investors, VCs, and banks. It seems like a nice, nice. So, it seems like a nice way to take things from if you've got enough funding or enough uh, sweat equity to kind of like build something that you're now starting to sell and it's starting to take off and you've got revenue. You know, rather than dilute the company further, you could you could use this as a way to kind of jump to the next level. Um, it, but it but assumes you have something that you're already selling and making money with, right? Like you need yeah. to have revenue. What's the what's the kind of the baseline revenue that people need before they can start thinking about this as, a, as an option? Yeah, it's, uh, we look for at least $15,000 in monthly revenue. So you definitely have to have something people are buying. Um, and, you know, it's, it's hard for us to fund companies that are pre-revenue, true, like uh, true, true startups at their earliest stages. So $15,000 in monthly revenue is the minimum. We fund companies that have anywhere from $15,000 a month in revenue to a million dollars a month in revenue is kind of the, the target zone. Um, on average, they're at about a little over a hundred thousand dollars a month. And to give you give you a sense, I'll, I'll go start going the qualifications. I didn't answer that earlier. So the base qualifications are at least fifteen thousand dollars a month in revenue. Um, some recurring revenue. We really like to see a recurring kind of mm-hmm. sticky revenue stream. Um, at least fifty percent gross margins. So a lot of software that has really high gross margins. Um, 
and um, no real deep customer concentration. Like if you got fifteen thousand dollars a month from one customer, it's really tough for us because that one customer goes away, and you know the, the business uh-huh. is in trouble. So we'd like to see some um, sort of uh, you know dispersion of the customer base. Um, those are really the main, and no huge burn rates. Like we can't fund massive, massive burn rates, kind of like a VC. You know, we, we we as an investor can't take on a lot of financing risk, meaning. Uh, a lot of risk that the company will not get financing down the road. Um, we want to be able to see that the company can survive if they have to on, on our money alone. Right, because it has the same risk that an equity investment has. You're still, you're still, the, the loan isn't guaranteed necessarily by the by the principals, right? So it still carries that risk for you that the company could go exactly. out of business or not pay. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's no personal guarantee. Like you get a loan from a bank, a lot of times it's going to be personally guaranteed, which is basically means it's. It's kind of like a credit card. It's on your own personal credit. Ours is totally not. If we're, we're making a bet on the entrepreneur and the business, and you know, if they do well, then we'll do well. If they do crap and go out of business, we'll lose our money. But that's that's the risk we're taking. Yeah, and then you get paid the uh, the you know the kind of interest rate reflects it, and it seems like a good seems like a good vehicle. And how how old is the the concept? I mean, you guys have been doing this for several years, but it's it's relatively new, right? Yeah, I mean, it's the the overall concept of royalty has obviously been around for a long time, but it really mostly got used in natural resource extraction. I mean, think think people putting holes in the ground and getting out uh, black gold from Texas and things like that. Mm-hmm. A lot of that was funded with royalties, um, as are movies. In fact, movies mostly get funded by royalties. So you're an investor in the next, you know, George Clooney movie. You're going to get, you know, put up your million bucks. You're going to get your two percent of royalty or something like that. Um, but using it in the, the tech. Uh, sphere to fund like tech startups is relatively new. Um, there are a handful of firms that have done it. Most of them uh, focus on businesses that are a bit larger than we are, and, they, and they're putting a lot larger um, bets on different businesses. So they'll be putting like four or five million dollars into a company that's doing ten million in revenue. You know, our average funding size is about two hundred fifty to three hundred thousand. We'll go up to two million per company, but on average, we're doing only several hundred thousand bucks. There's not many people doing it sort of at the level that, that we're doing it. Um, at the volume that we're doing it. Sorry, I was going to say one of the things that strikes me as being interesting about this stuff is sometimes we talk about. It seems like our focus tends to to be on venture backed startups, uh, people that are going through the, the typical fundraising process, and that skews toward a very specific type of business, a business that's you know like like uh, swinging for the fences, kind of an all or nothing, you know, going for yeah. a, a massive win. Yeah. And and my my entrepreneurial efforts have always been relatively small. I, I try to take things on myself keep expenses low. I've never done any like formal fundraising and, uh, and as a result can get profitable really quickly. And so grow, grow smaller businesses that, you know, some people would kind of derogatorily say are like a lifestyle business, but for people that have a lifestyle business where it generates lots of cash for them and they're not, you know, they're not going through the same, the rigmarole of a full funded startup, but you know, lifestyle business can be pretty great. But the thing is that with lifestyle businesses, particularly businesses that don't have a big, you know, exit uh, on the horizon, you know, financing is is not a great option because, you know, people don't want to invest in a company that doesn't have a clear exit. But with you and, yep. and what you guys do, it sounds like you may open up some financing options to folks that otherwise would have a hard time persuading a, a venture uh, a fund to invest. Did you find yeah. that? that yeah. Yes, definitely. In fact, you're hitting on a lot of our themes that we see in, in our customer base. Um, I mean, number one, 
we fund a lot of companies that have no outside funding. We're often the first institutional investors. In fact, 45% of the companies we fund are bootstrapped or self-funded. 55% have some angel money. And then overlapping with that angel money group, um, about 20% are VC funded. So even in in our total portfolio, um, and and a lot of VC funding actually comes after us. Um, So the vast, vast majorities of of companies that we're funding do not have VC money. Um, and, and even after our funding, don't get VC funding. Um, because a lot of them are, exactly as you're saying, Mike, they are entrepreneurs who are really trying to make what we uh, prefer to call a real business as opposed to a lifestyle business. Um, meaning yeah, that's, exactly that's a much better like word. Profits and things like that. Um, and, and so, yeah, we, we, I think, are a really good alternative for that. Because a lot of these entrepreneurs, they'll, you know, because they don't want necessarily a, a whole bunch of equity investors in there where, you know, eventually they're going to have to pay them back, right? I mean, it, with without a return of investment, there's no ROI, right? Sort of saying we have is without the R, there's no ROI. So um, that means you got to sell at some point in time, and that's kind of a painful thing. A lot of entrepreneurs don't necessarily want to do, and um, and so there aren't that many funding options out there. I mean, you can go to a bank, but unless you've you know, gotten up to five plus million in revenue, you're not going to get very much money from a bank. Which five plus million in revenue probably got you know all kinds of options. Um, and so we see a lot of companies where they've got like a $75,000 personally guaranteed line of credit from Wells Fargo or something like that. It's basically, it's like a credit card on steroids. Um, and then we'll come in and give that company three or 400 grand. Um, and, and that's really the sole capital sources for, for the business. Um, but if you can grow on, on that kind of uh, capital and get up to several million dollars in revenue, and let's say you're a SaaS business, um, you know, even if you've got, even if you're not really swinging for the fences, you've got something of pretty significant value there. Um, you know, the multiples on SaaS businesses and things like that have come down recently, but still, you've got something that's worth millions, and millions of dollars, and you own the whole thing. You know, your exit uh, for the entrepreneur personally might be larger than a lot of the big notable VC-backed exits are for those entrepreneurs, because um, usually by the time they sell for, you know. 100 million or 200 million bucks, um, entrepreneurs, generally speaking, own a very small percentage. Um, so, yeah, we see a lot of companies that, um, the, exactly like you're describing, Mike, and, and the, the lifestyle tag on these businesses is an interesting one. Um, much as you alluded to, we, it, it's, it's a useful moniker because a lot of people know that statement, but it does tend to make the business sound like it's not very serious. And what we see is, we see is really deeply serious entrepreneurs. Um, so the lifestyle tag on those things doesn't, doesn't really quite fit. It sounds like they're kind of hanging out on the beach. Yeah, yeah, totally. I'd like to, to take the lifestyle tag and like, uh, you know, reposition it to be something a bit more positive or may, maybe real business is the good word for it. Because when I, when I, you know, we've talked about this on the podcast before, but my position on it is that, um, and this, this can be kind of uh, depressing for folks that are going through the typical venture backed, uh, model, but you know, every startup you do has a tendency to take, you know, potentially about a 10 year chunk out of your life. And, uh, so, so your typical entrepreneur only gets about, you know, three or four, maybe five cracks at it, um, to be able to start something and try to grow it. And we know that the, the, the statistics on venture backed startups are that most of them fail. So, you know, you're trying to basically set yourself up to win one out of four or one out of three over a 30 year period, which those odds may not even be that great. Um, so that works great for investors like, uh, angel investors and VCs because they can spread their bets out without, without, um, you know, they can just diversify their investments a lot better. But for, for an individual, 
you know, sometimes it makes sense to not swing for the fences. Sometimes it makes sense to, to try to get a lot of nice base hits and, and grow a business that can sustain you because, um, you know, your risk goes down substantially when you're not trying to, to beat the world. Um, so I don't know. I, I feel like, yeah, I, that's a message I try to try, try to convey to entrepreneurs that, that, you know, they shouldn't always feel like the only way to go is this big venture backed model. And, um, it sounds like companies like yours help enable people to do that. So that's great. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree with that. Um, you know, the, the venture backed firms, listen, they have more money to spend on marketing and PR and all kinds of things. They tend to fill the pages of TechCrunch and GeekWire and things like that um, because they do make a lot more noise. And, and there's, there's a lot of sort of validation, I think, in that, or there's a lot of validation in getting VC funding that entrepreneurs um, feel. However, I think if you look at the economics of it, you, you do change the economics exactly like you're talking um, in a dramatic way for the entrepreneur. There's, there's sort of a canned speech, I feel like, that I, I repeat over and over and over again to a lot of the entrepreneurs that um, we fund and a lot of the ones that are considering getting VC funding and want our thoughts on it. They, um, and the canned speech goes something like this, which is basically like, hey, if you're going to go take VC funding and maybe they're looking at getting $5 million Series A or something like that from, and stuff, and, and like, you, your chances of making $100 million probably go up. Um, as opposed to not having the VC funding. However, your chances of making zero also go up. And your chances of making 10 to 20 million bucks probably go down. Um, especially considering a lot of these businesses are at a million plus in revenue and they don't have any outside equity funding. Um, and it's, it's an interesting thing to, to see what the entrepreneurs choose to do. Um, a lot of the ones that we fund really have VC in mind. I think from a relatively young age, just because VC does have a massive amount of mind share, um, but the vast majority of them end up not going the VC route. And I think they're frankly a lot better for it uh, in the long run financially. To give you a sense of uh, perspective uh, on the sort of portfolio-wide metrics, right? I, I was actually a VC, so I'm sounding like I'm trashing VCs, but I was actually a VC back in the early 2000s. And I think VC is a, a great thing, and, and it's one of the things that makes the American economy very um, special. But... Um, you know, in VC world, there's sort of a two-six-two rule. Out of out of ten investments, you know, hopefully two are home runs, six are kind of like Mac, you get your money back, and two, you know, you're just going to lose everything. And and if you actually have that kind of performance, you probably have a successful VC fund, which is one of the reasons why VCs shoot for the fences. And those those two home runs are like ten x hits, right? right? They make right. up one of them makes up for the entire portfolio, and the other one makes your profits, so you're getting at least two x on your money. And then on the six where you get your money back, that means you're getting two point six times your total fund. That's a successful fund. A typically successful venture fund is getting two to three times its money total um, as, a, as a cash on cash. Um, you take that and, and, you, and you overlay it and compare it to our, our overall portfolio businesses, and we're getting close to 100 companies we've funded. I think we're at like 97 now, and uh, almost 150 deals, 145 deals, something like that. And out of that, we've had two that have actually failed. And they were companies that were actually pre-revenue when Lighter Capital funded them. So they actually don't really fit our current model of what we fund. In other words, most of the companies that we're funding are, are, are kind of more impregnable to, to dying. And I think those entrepreneurs are much more assured of getting a positive return for themselves. Well, that's, that's an interesting uh, statistic that I would think would be really relevant. I feel like I'm just uh, praise, praising your business model over and over again. But – the, what occurs to me about that is that some people's fear about a revenue loan may be that this 5% uh, overhead on top of everything that I sell might somehow cripple my business or make it difficult for me to grow because it's an, it's something that hangs over me as opposed to equity, which is just kind of you know free money until there's an exit. 
Um, and it's, so it sounds like the fact that, that people have to pay um, like a royalty on all their revenue isn't necessarily causing a harm to their businesses if, if most of them aren't going out. Yeah, yeah. Number one, I think you're hitting the trade-offs exactly, which is like equity, you don't have to make payments on, but you get diluted. And so when there's an exit, then, then you really pay for it. And on ours, the, the, the trade-off is, yeah, you have to make payments as you go. Um, and we try to make that flexible, right? So the faster you grow, well, hopefully you can afford larger payments. That's the way it works out. They, um, but, but yeah, that's very much what we're, what we're seeing. And it's one of the reasons why we focus on funding businesses with high gross margins. So on average, the businesses we fund have 83% gross margins. So, and, and on average, we're taking about 5 to 6% of the revenue. So you, on average, you're taking a business that has 83% gross margins and kind of effectively making it have like 78% gross margins. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. 78% gonna... gross margins. Yeah, your, your, your key thing still is like, can you add you know, another couple million bucks in revenue this, this year kind of thing, right? That's really what you want to go shoot for. So the calculus for an entrepreneur, hey, I'm a, let's say I'm a $2 million a year business and I'm looking at taking 500,000 bucks from lighter capital and I'm going to pay a certain percentage of my revenue, but, and then I'm happier having that larger business, even though I'm having 78% gross margins on it as opposed to 83. And that's really the calculus, I think. So I was, uh, last night I was digging around and I saw uh, Andy Sack, you know, one of the founders, uh, yeah. maybe the founder, I'm a, of uh of lighter capital wrote a uh, really cool uh, guest blog post on uh, fred wilson's blog yeah. abc.com a while back so uh for the readers out there if they're it's just it's kind of a fun um it's kind of a fun piece if you want to go back and, and read it i think it just if you just googled uh, andy sack and abc.com you'd find it so it's, yeah. it's a pretty good explanation of the business and uh it's funny it was kind of a response uh andy's article is a response to some piece fred wrote in which Fred like failed to mention revenue loans. As yeah, a, yeah, <laughs> as, as a an funny alternative. Source. But yeah, that's a that's a I, I enjoyed reading that. Yeah, it's it's uh yeah that's an old one. That, it's that's an old one for a while. Yeah, while, so that is pretty funny. Um, there's actually a, another Fred Wilson piece that's sort of interesting. Fred Wilson has a. Someone asked him one time, like, how do you value startups as a VC, and how do you give them these huge valuations when it's just like you know a couple of engineers or whatever? And he's like. You know, people always get hung up on this valuation that you don't really understand. VCs are actually debt investors with an upside because <laughs> you're getting your liquidation preference, right? So in some ways, uh, VC is a little bit like debt with an upside. Yeah, you know, what's funny is I think, um, you know, the, the VC investors tend to look at, um, you know, founder dilution and they tend to, I mean, valuations are in part driven by, well, we know we can't, we can't dilute the founders too heavily. Because if we do, then we just quit and go do something else, and then our investment will be entirely yeah. lost. Or yeah. It might be. Yeah. Um, and so that's one really nice thing about your model, which is there's no dilution at all. Yeah. You kind of, I mean, the entrepreneurs are effectively are leveraging their equity. I mean, really, is basically what it is, right? It's, it's leverage. Now, it tries to be like sort of kind of leverage, so not personally guaranteed and all sorts of things. But yeah, it's basically like leveraging your equity. I mean, one of the things that we try not to push this a little bit because it sounds kind of pushy, but one of the, the sort of philosophies on it is kind of like if you really believe in your business don't sell part of it right um you know if you really believe in your business take out a loan as opposed to go and go and get equity because you might as well save your equity if you're if your value of your equity is going to go faster than the cost of payments on the loan um the cost of capital on the loan then you should go with a loan um as long as it doesn't have recourse back to you personally right so right. so you you you're a venture back company and you spend you spend a lot of time on the back end technology yeah. And you're, I haven't gone through your application process, although I was tempted to for fun, just with a bogus company name or something. Um, but uh, gosh, it looks pretty simple. It, 
we're trying to make it simple. So the whole idea behind Ladder Capital is, number one, to make this different instrument that sort of fills a gap in the funding ecosystem. Number two is to use technology to make it easier on entrepreneurs, right? Um, I mean, it literally, like our sort of mantra, when actually, when we were out raising money, was a, a slide that literally has this picture of a dog and pony show back from, like, the 20s. And on the top of it literally says, raising money sucks. Because raising money, frankly, especially equity money, does kind of suck. Um, the process is usually with angels. You're kind of herding cats. Um, a lot of coffee meetings, a lot of networking, a lot of basically setting up a whole new sales pipeline for the business to sell its equity as opposed to go and sell its product. It's, it's a distracting process. So the idea with Lighter Capital was can we use technology to make this whole process easier and then use this funding instrument to uh, also sort of fill a hole in the, in the ecosystem. Um, and so the, yeah, the easier part with the technology is really that can we provide, especially relatively small amounts of capital, small amounts being you know, 50K up to 2 million, um, to companies in an expedited fashion so that they literally can sit at home or sit in their offices, upload a bunch of documents, connect to a bunch of things online, and have five, six phone calls and be funded. And, um, and so that's really what we've made with this technology um, platform. We've now got uh, like eight software developers um, that are working full-time developing this thing. And essentially the process is that you come in, you fill out an initial application, like if you went online, Joe, and filled out the application, you'd only get the first kind of two pages um, because it's a basic sort of profile of business. Then usually we want to talk to you after that and kind of understand, you know, does this really make sense? Do you understand what we do? How does it work? And give you an idea of the process going forward. If, if that goes forward, and you're, let's say you're a SaaS business in San Jose as opposed to a trucking company in Kansas City or something um, that we can't fund, um, then you're going to go into our sort of secure application. In the secure application, you log into your bank account, you log into your accounting software package, you log into your LinkedIn account, and you also fill in a bunch of form fields online, like, hey, you say you have some debt. Is it convertible debt? When is it mature? Upload the documents. And our software takes all that information and literally models your business, throws off a bunch of alerts and this and that and everything, questions, so that the due diligence process is really highly expedited. And usually it's a couple due diligence phone calls to make sure we understand the business, understand the goals of the entrepreneur, make sure that we're a fit with those goals. And, um, and then we get you a funding proposal. And we come out and usually, you know, the funding proposal comprises of two main parts, which is, or a couple of main parts. One is the amount of funding, um, the percentage of revenue that it's the payment, and the cap, as we call it, is the multiple of the principal amount that's the total amount to be paid. Um, and that's it. And then from there on out, if, if there's an agreement on that, we have full online documentation um, to do the term sheet, and all the funding agreement, everything. So... On average right now, we're funding companies anywhere from like two and a half, three weeks up to about six, eight weeks. Depends on how prepared they are. Um, you know, a lot of early stage businesses have to kind of clean up their financials and things like that. Sometimes it takes a little bit of time. Um, but uh, we just funded a company, 500 grand the other day. It took like 30 days. And it was, I think, four or five phone calls. Um, so really the idea is can we use technology to expedite that process? And then, frankly, longer term, the, the idea really is um, can we use technology and can, can we fund you know, thousands of businesses this way and can we use technology to really delineate out like what are the ingredients that make a startup successful versus not successful? And number one, that'll help us as an investor, obviously, 
be a wiser investor and, and get better returns and such. Um, but also, frankly, we can help the companies with that, right? Because we can share that information back with the companies and say, hey, these are the ingredients we see that will help you be more successful. This is, you know, this type of sort of setup of your organization or with this kind of revenue stream, selling it this type of way is really much more the path to success over these, you know, 700 companies that are like that. Um, that's really the long-term vision goal of, of lighter capitals, be able to do that. And then, of course, we've got incredibly valuable data and a valuable lending platform. Right. Well, that's exciting. So, how did you how did how did you find yourself to uh, how did you find yourself uh, at Lighter? Like, what what led you? To how lighter? did I find myself at Lighter? That's funny. Um, sort of a varied background. Um, I was a VC. I, I went to business school and things like that. And then um, I was I spent. Prior to Lighter, I spent about a third of my time on the um, investor side and about two-thirds of my time on the entrepreneurial side. So uh, I've been uh, on the management team of a couple startups. I was a CFO of a public company. I was also a VC for five, six years back in the um, early 2000s. So you had a pretty broad background. I mean, a lot of different, yeah. a lot of different experiences. A lot of different experiences. All, most of it really centered on being on one side of the table or the other of small business finance in the, in the tech startup ecosystem. Public company CFO. So was that was small that company. <laughs> it was a small company? Yeah, it was probably a company that never should have been public. It was a little energy efficiency tech company. So you're telling me being the CEO of Lighter Capital is more fun than that than that job? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. CFO of a public company is a little stressful. That's one of the things that, that different I, kind of stress. Yeah, it's. A, I don't like uh, people. People wonder about why companies aren't going public, but I mean, uh, with the regulatory environment, I'm not sure why you would if you can get funding. Without going public, you can get funding without going public, and you can get a return for your investors. Um, yeah, I, I, it sounds maybe a little bit contrary to the current current theme, but I didn't really find being public that much of a hassle. I mean, it provides extra there are extra concerns. Um, you have to watch information a lot more um, because of you know insider trading issues and things like that. But you kind of you kind of get used to all the reporting, and you get used to all the the sort of quote unquote hassle and overhead of all that kind of stuff. So um, I don't know. I, I, I guess I'm not really sure why some of these companies don't go public, except for the uh, like the Ubers of the world, except for the fact that maybe they're a little bit scared of facing the constant valuation every day by the public markets. Um, I think that is probably the greatest fear, but it's nothing that they don't really want to talk about um, it, because you know you've seen several companies go public. Um, that have really not performed that well, and there's a lot of pressure on them, um, and that creates a lot of pressure on CEOs. You see a lot of CEOs ousted when the stock price goes down 40%, whatever, right? right? So why go have that concern if you can just keep on going and getting private money that you know is, is at decent valuations? Um, so um, on one hand, it's very understandable. They don't go public. On the other hand, the reasons given I think are a little bit false. Like, okay, whatever. So you got to do a Sarbanes-Oxley, like. It's not that bad. Do you think this is just a form of complaining about government regulation? <laughs> um, yeah, or just I think it's convenient, a convenient sort of excuse. I don't think it's really that big a hassle. Like I, it, you know, Sarbanes-Oxley. Not to get off too much on like public company stuff, yeah. but Sarbanes-Oxley. I mean, the worst provision of that was Section 404, where you had to like test all your all your controls and all this kind of stuff. And when it was first rolled out, a public company spent, I mean, huge public companies like Fortune 500 companies spent tens of millions of dollars on it. Uh, we were a little public. By the time we got rolled out, it was like thirty grand and a little bit of hassle. And like you deal with it, you figure it out. And frankly, it was probably good business practices anyway. Hmm. So, so how do you see the current like 
macroeconomic environment developing? And do, you, do you have any perspective on that? Like, how do you think it's going to affect your business Good, good in a good way, maybe? Um, well, sort of different levels of macro. There's like the bigger, bigger macroeconomic environment of like sort of global economy, I guess. And then more specific to us, I think, is um, you know, obviously what's going on with the tech world a bit. Um, you're certainly seeing a bit of a slowdown in VC funding and such, although that could be an opportunity for us um, since we're somewhat of a substitute for VC financing. Um, like I said, most, most of the companies that we're funding are, are angel-backed or VC-backed. Um, so slowdown down in VC land, it might have some uh, beneficial aspect to us uh, a little bit. Um, it, it may also have some certain risks for us. We just have to watch how much financing risk we take on. Um, I think the slowdown in the angel funding is really what probably um, will affect us the most. Um, because really we're more of an angel substitute. With the, the check sizes we're cutting of you know, up to two million bucks, we're really more of an angel substitute than a VC substitute. Um, so, so I think it'll be interesting to see what happens. I, don't, I, I think it's definitely slowing down. It's a bit spotty in areas. There was a, a report uh, I think came out from Mattermark yesterday or two days ago um, saying that the Valley has seen a significant slowdown, like quarter over quarter, or 20% drop in VC funding. Um, but a lot of other areas, it's actually picked up. In fact, I think Portland was one of the areas that picked up the most. So it's spotty what's going on out there a little bit right now. Portland. So what did it say? Portland versus Seattle. What do you think about that? About that? About that? Portland uh, versus Seattle. Yeah, about that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. We, we funded more businesses in Seattle, I think, primarily because we're in Seattle. But right. we had a handful of companies we funded in Portland. Um, we're pretty broad, though. I think we've funded companies in 26 or 27 states now. Okay. So I think we have as many deals in South Carolina as we do in Portland, um, and which is maybe sounds a little bit crazy, but um, I don't know, good business in South Carolina, too. Yeah. No, it's, it's certainly exciting to think about. Um, so if you, if you think about your business right now, I mean, you feel like uh, you're going to evolve your products a little bit over the next two, three years, or you think you're pretty settled right now in your, in your format? Or? I, I think we could, we could definitely uh, looking at product extensions. Okay. So we may come out with some different financial products, essentially, um, to fund things. We've only gone up market a little bit. Like we used to, um, until November of 2015, we were um, only funding companies up to about a million dollars each. Right, that's the maximum we'd go up to. Then we raised a new hundred million dollar fund number, and with that, we're now going up to two million dollars per company. And we've certainly seen a little change in the deal flow and things that we're doing, funding a little bit larger companies. Um, I think we may continue to go out market a little bit, but probably we'll also diversify the the financing offerings. And we're working on a couple of different things um, that I think would particularly fit our uh, target company, like tech startups, essentially. Um, so we'll see. Nothing, nothing probably this year, but perhaps next year. Okay. Okay. So uh, with your cadre or your, your group of software developers who are developing all these tools to set off red flags and things like this, so, so how, I mean, what sort of tools are you using? Are, are they productive intelligence tools of one sort or another? Um, we're starting to use some um, more advanced, like, uh, uh, Data analysis and using some more machine learning stuff soon. Really, we have to to really get that engine turning. You got to fund a lot of companies. So the first real sort of evolution of, of, of letter capital, the first stage, is really build up the the portfolio of companies and build up a, a pl technology platform that that funds those in a economical fashion, um, so it's efficient, um, as well as a way that um, is relatively predictive of, of how they're going to perform, but is not going to be as intelligent as it is like four or five years from now. Um, you just need tons more data inputs to really get it um, 
to be highly predictive. Um, I mean, at 100 companies um, that we funded, you're starting to get some um, good insights from the data, but you're just starting. Um, when you get like a thousand companies, you get a ton more insights on it, of course. Right. Um, so there'll be a lot more. We're basically really just starting that type of work. Um, most of the software development work has been around gathering different kinds of data sources, making sure they compare. So like, you know, we get your accounting from your QuickBooks. So we get you know, this dump of information. It's convenient for the entrepreneur, right? They don't have to go fill it all in, everything like that, right? We can just they just log into their QuickBooks account and we get all this information. Then we can compare it against the bank account and make sure that it reconciles and is appropriate. And so that there's a lot of software development work just to do those those three things: right. gathering the banking information, gathering the accounting information, and then comparing them, um, for example. So um, you know, there's all kinds of software development around monitoring these companies. So we try to. Try to also be light, and that's the, the name lighter capital. It is trying to be lighter on entrepreneurs. Um, we also try to be lighter after funding. So each month the company has to go in and make these payments and do this reporting and things like that. We try to automate a decent amount of that. It means they're also gathering, gathering a lot of information about the companies, which is good for us and, and tries to be easier on them. But that's a lot of software to be able to, to do that. Right. Well, that's a really fun thing. So your, your, your geographic footprint right now is approximately more than half the country. It's about half, yeah, somewhere around half. I think we're 26, 27 states. Um, so we just did our first deal in Florida recently. Um, that was our, our new state, but we've done deals in, I mean, everything from you know New York to like going down the Eastern Shore, New York, Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, Florida. I mean, we've done a ton of different deals. Um, the one state that we haven't done any deals in, surprisingly, is Massachusetts. Hmm. Good startup ecosystem. We just I don't know, haven't done one yet, but tons. About 25% of the deals we've done are in California. Um, a decent amount here in, in Seattle, the Northwest, um, Oregon, and Washington, and such. Um, or, gotcha. Mike, what are your thoughts on on uh, on, on on sort of like what, what do you think about the, what you've learned about Lighter Capital so far today? Yeah, it seems like a good option. It's nice. I think people out there listening should just know that it's a know that it's an option. I don't know that people, that everyone realizes that uh, that there's this alternative that exists. And and like I said, I'm 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 in favor of things that that lower risk for entrepreneurs and let them go after prizes that are big for them, but don't necessarily um, necessarily satisfy the 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 needs of a big VC. So yeah, it seems like a great option. Um, it's been really great chatting with you. Um, yeah. BJ, it's it's uh yeah. Thanks for coming on. Really, really great information. So I think that so the key takeaways here: if you're a you've got a startup business, technology oriented startup business, recurring revenue or or re- monthly you know run rate revenue of fifteen thousand or more a month, primarily recurring revenue. Although services, some component of services revenue yeah. is fine. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, it's worth definitely worth checking out. Definitely worth checking out. Um, what any other things you want to leave the audience with, BJ? Um, no, I think I think you guys got it. You know, kind of what we do and what we're, what we're trying to accomplish in the starting system. Where, you know, I think like, anything else, the entrepreneurs out there too. If you don't happen to exactly fit our criteria, still don't hesitate to contact us because we talked to a lot of companies that are either too early for us or really should fit some other kind of financing. And we sort of see it. You know, we pay it forward in terms of helping people connect up to financing sources. If it's not us, we'll try and connect you to somebody that's that's better. But feel free to contact us. We've got a Got a bevy of people, about 30 people right now at Letter Capital. Going to be about 45 by the end of the year. Yeah, I was looking at your uh, your team your team page on your website. It's an impressive team. It's getting bigger. You have a really super impressive group of people. Yeah. 
And it looks like a fun crowd, like people are enjoying the time. Yeah, we've got, uh, yeah, it's an interesting crowd. You've got everything from like deep finance people that, you know, prior to this didn't know anything about software. And you've got, you know, the other end of the spectrum, you've got people who are software folks who prior to this didn't know all that much about finance. Yeah, I love, I love the combination of people. <laughs> I love the combination of people. I was looking at, you know, bios and stuff. I'm like, it's a good, it's a good combo. It, it's, a, it's a very intelligent combo. It's really bright people yeah. in general. Like yeah. So do you talk personally with just about every company that comes through? You know, I don't anymore. I used to, but it's just not that scalable anymore. We're, we're now funding like you know, six companies uh, a month or so. It's just, it's impossible for me to talk to all of them. Um, I still talk to a decent amount. I'd like to talk to them. I love talking to entrepreneurs, um, but it's, uh, it's um, really hard for me to, to actually talk to all of them. Well, BJ, thank you for being on the show. Again, if you want to know more about Lighter Capital, just go to lightercapital.com and you'll find their website and their blog and everything else. And uh, it's been really great having you on the show. Yeah. We really appreciate it, BJ. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. And everybody else, we'll see you next week.